You know, as a pastor, it is a privilege, my privilege, to speak to you and to remind you of what God has already told you in his word. It's unlike the prophets and apostles of old that would give new information to the people from God, I'm not doing that. That's not my role. My role is to remind you of what God has already clearly told us in his word. And so what I want to remind you about today is the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. And we are at a point, as we are all well aware of, we are at a point in our country where everything is crazy. And for most of us, we have never seen anything like this before. We got riots in the streets, we got cities on fire, we've got pandemics, we've got an election coming up just around the corner here. Those are always contentious. And every time we get to one, it seems as if someone says, or most people say, this is the most critical election of all time. You know, I looked that up. People have been saying that since the early 1800s. It is true, though, you know, that every generation, every time it comes around, it is very critical, so I'm not trying to lighten that fact. But anyway, we have this kind of this perfect storm going on on a, on a national level, and as Christians, uh, we turn to one of two things, and this isn't just true of Christians, but this is true of everybody, but we turn to the one true God for hope, we draw closer to Him, we cling to Him more tightly, or we turn to idols. And really, those are the only two options. There are no other options. There's not a third thing that people do. It is the one true God, or it is idolatry. And so what I want to look at today, as I mentioned, the sovereignty of God. But I think we need to define some terms here first. We need to talk a little bit about what is sovereignty. You know, earthly kings use the term sovereign. You know, you hear that sometimes with kings, especially the kings of old. But really, no human can truly be sovereign. To be sovereign means you are in complete and absolute control over absolutely everything that happens. You have decreed it to happen. You wanted it to happen that way. And everything happens exactly the way you want. Now, some kings can say that. Some emperors can say that. But it's not true. It, says it doesn't work that way. They may even think that if they're deluded enough to think that. But that's not true. Only God is truly sovereign. Only God is truly in complete and total control of all things, complete and total control of all events, good and bad, from our perspective. Now, that's often difficult for us to understand, and we might understand that in the sense that we, we hear that and we say, yeah, I agree with that, but we don't often live our lives in that way. We can say we believe it in our head that God is sovereign over all things, but we don't necessarily believe it in our heart. And so today, in the midst of all this craziness that's going on, we have to, as Christians, come back to the fact that God is sovereign. God has always been sovereign. God always will be sovereign. There will never be a point where God is not in complete and total control of all things at all times. So before we actually look at Psalm 115, you don't have to turn to all of these, but I want to look at just... Uh, there's plenty of places we could have went in Scripture, but I want to look at what some of the other Psalms tell us about this as well. Psalm 93, verses 1 and 2 says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. Did you hear that? It cannot be shaken. No matter what happens, it cannot be shaken. Uh, Psalm 2, this is kind of a, a classic one, but this, this one part really stood out to me. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 4 
says, why do the nations rebel and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let us tear off their chains and free ourselves from their restraints. And here's the greatest verse here. Verse four, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Anything that's happening here, is this, is this an, you know, a, something that God is concerned about? Oh boy, I don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic. I don't know what's going to happen with this election. I, I'm a little nervous, guys. Gabriel, what do you think? I don't know. He's not, that is not God. God is sovereign. He knows everything that is going to happen, and he has decreed it that way. Last one on this, then we'll turn to our, our main text this morning. Psalm 33, this is a longer section, but it really speaks to this. Psalm 33, 10 through 19 says, The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Happy is the nation whose God is Yahweh, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone, everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. This is key here as well. Verse 15, he alone shapes their hearts. He considers all their works. A king is not saved by a large army. A warrior will not be delivered by great strength. The horse is a false hope for safety. It provides no escape by its great power. Now the eye of the Lord is on all those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We could go on and on and on just in the Psalms, not to mention all the other parts in Scripture that speak to the sovereignty of God. It is all over the place in Scripture. And you think about all the things that God could have put in the Bible, we have so many questions. What about this? And I wonder, and we think about, when I get to heaven, I'll ask God this. And that's, that's all well and good. But God only puts certain things in here. And the fact that he reminds us over and over and over again of his sovereignty, of his control over everything, that's important because we forget that often. And we need that reminder often as we read through and as we study his word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you alone are God, that you alone are the one that controls the events that take place, that nothing catches you by surprise, that you have everything planned out from the very beginning to the very end, from the smallest details of our lives to the grandest events in the world. And Lord, we are thankful that you are who you are. Lord, may we trust in you. May we be reminded of your sovereignty as we study your scripture today together. In your name we pray, amen. Let's turn our attention now to Psalm 115. I will read through this here, and then we will spend some time kind of looking at the parts of it here. Psalm 115, not to us, Yahweh, not to us, but to your name, give glory. Because of your faithful love, because of your truth, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. 
You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord add to your numbers, both yours and your children's. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the human race. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, nor any of those descending into the silence of death, but we will praise the Lord both now and forever. Hallelujah. We don't know who wrote this psalm for sure. It is debatable as I did a little research on this. It ranges pretty wildly from all the way from Moses to David to Ezra. So pretty much the entire uh, chronology of the Old Testament. Uh, most would say probably Ezra. So probably towards the end, after the exile, after they have been through all the crazy stuff that happened with the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They're living under the Persians. And they're rebuilding the temple um, all those events that are happening in that part of Old Testament history. Whoever the author is, though, the message is timeless. It, it, it can go to anybody throughout Old, Old Testament times and certainly to us today as well. So as it begins, the author reminds us right off the bat that the glory goes to God. And it, it, it is all about God. We forget that a lot, even as Christians. We think it's about us. It's about me. It's about how I can do things, or how I can live my life, or how I can perceive things, or how comfortable I am, and yada, yada, yada. But no, it is all about God. So very, very first there, says, not to us, Yahweh, not to us, but to your name give glory. Twice he says, not to us. It's not about us. It is not about us. It is all about him. God gets all the glory. So we need to be able to say that as Christians. So if, if the other guy wins the election, to God be the glory. If the pandemic wipes out 50% of everybody, which I don't think is going to happen, but to God be the glory. If you get in a terrible car accident, to God be the You're not happy these things happen. Don't misunderstand me. That's insanity. But you're content in who God is. You're, you rest in his sovereignty. And he gets all the glory no matter how things appear to go for us. And that's how this psalm starts out, right at the beginning to remind us that God gets the glory. It's not us. Why does he get the glory? It says right off the bat there, verse 1, because of your faithful love, because of your truth. God, you get all the glory. There could be a, a million reasons that the psalmist put in here, but he puts this in here, your faithful love. Now, you can track that all through the Old Testament. You could track that all through your own life and see how God has been faithful to us, how he's been faithful to Israel. If this was written indeed at the, the time after the exile, and you can trace that thing from Abram to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph, all the way through to Moses and so on and so forth, all the way through, and God is still faithful to us today. God has not forgotten us. That's definitely reason to give honor and glory to God because of his faithful love for us. And of course, that culminates in the cross, right? He's he demonstrated that very clearly to us, his faithful love by dying for us, by taking the punishment of all of our sins upon himself. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that for us. Then it says, because of your truth. Well, what truth? Well, really, everything that God says is truth. Truth is not defined as something that God does, but something that God is. God is truth. God doesn't just speak truth sometimes, but everything he says is truth. 
So God is truth. Everything he says, everything he does is true. The verse 2 says, why should the nations say, where is their God? This is a mocking thing that the nations would say to Israel. And you can look at this in one of two ways. You know, where's your God? Look at all these bad things that are happening to you. Look, we came in, we conquered you, destroyed you, knocked down the temple, knocked down the walls of Jerusalem. Where's your God now? So it said that in a mocking tone, but it's also said in another way, Israel had no idol that represented God. Now they tried, you know, a few times. They had the golden calf they built at Sinai. This is the God, Israel, that saved us from Egypt. But God said, no, that's not, that's not it. And you go fast forward to the time of, uh, of Eli there and Samuel, and they brought out the Ark of the Covenant almost as if that was an idol in and of itself. And so Israel tried to do that, but for the most part, when they were doing what they were supposed to do, there was not a physical thing that represented God. There's no idol in the temple. And you look at all the pagan temples, you know, from Greek and Roman times going all the way back, and you have the stories in the Bible, I think of Dagon that would fall over and break. You know, the central part of that temple was this idol of God. And so here's the nation say, where's your God? I don't see any God. I see a bunch of furniture and there's no God here. Well, the psalmist responds here very strongly in verse three. He says, our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. And this is really, I think, the main point of this psalm, that our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases pleases. He's not here among us. He's not up on a pedestal that somebody's got to go and they've got to dust it and take care of it and bring offerings to it. And our God is in heaven. He's overseeing everything and he does whatever he wants. Then we have the contrast here. The psalmist spends a lot of time talking about idols. Now, idols are an interesting thing. When we think of idols, the first thing we think of typically is a statue of some kind. We think of like a Baal or a golden calf. We think of in Hinduism, they still have actual idols that they would worship to and pray to and things like that. We, we think of a, a little statue and we go, well, I don't have a problem with idolatry in my life because I don't bow down to Baal or anything else. I'm good. But we know that it's, there's more to idols than that. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in our life. That can be a good thing. It doesn't always, it's not always a bad thing. We often think, well, yeah, but that's like, that's like an addiction. You know, you're addicted to drugs, you're addicted to alcohol, you're addicted to gambling, whatever. That can be an idol for sure, but it can also be good things, anything that you take. And that is the most important thing in your life. You put all of your hope, you put all of your, your, your pride, your everything in this thing. And and the, it is really endless what that could be. It could be your family. And so then something happens to your family and everything is shattered in your life. It could be your country. Something happens to your country. Everything is shattered in your life. It could be your job. It could be, so none of these things are bad, obviously. But if that becomes more important to us than God, if that takes the priority in our life over everything else, well, we got a problem. I think as Americans and as Christians here in America, we have been used to a very stable calm, easy to be a Christian existence here. There's not many challenges. You say, oh, I was persecuted because this guy at work mocked me. It's not persecution. Persecution is when they burn down your house and then they kill your family, when they cart you off to jail. That's persecution, right? So we've had it really good here, which is a blessing. And I'm not trying to make light of the fact that we have it good here in America. But because of that, 
we often look to the system in which we live in a very idolatrous way. This country that we have, the government that we have, it protects us, it takes care of us. And every, but alter that just a little and watch us all freak out. I mean, look at the, look at the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic. Uh, whatever your thoughts on that, it changed everybody's life drastically. Businesses are closed and things change. And, and what do we do as Christians? Most of us freak out. What is going on here? How is this happening? And this is just a very slight thing for most of us. You know, I, granted, there's exceptions. But for most of us, it's a very slight thing, but we just we don't know what to do. And then you take all the events with the, the riots all over the country and all this crazy stuff going on. And I'm not going to get to the politics of all that, but it, it's, it's unsettling. We say, why is this happening? How can this be happening? And, and our foundations begin to be shaken quite a bit. And so as, as Christians, we have two options. We go running to God, and we have our foundation in Him, and we say, well, look at all this stuff happening. This isn't good, but I know it'll all work out because God's in control. Or do we look at our idols that we've set up and go, oh, my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's build a bunker in the backyard. Let's gather some pork and beans, and we're going to hang out there till the end. But that's the mentality of a lot of people, hopefully not physically, but at least mentally, that, that everything is just over. Now, but look what the, the psalmist tells us about these idols. It says their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. That is the, the key thing here. These are made by human hands. These are not God-ordained things, but these were actually things made by us. So we're not worshiping the creator. We're worshiping the creation, our own creation, in fact, is what he's talking about here. So these are things that are made by humans. They're also things that are controlled or can be controlled by us. God cannot be controlled by us in any way. We cannot manipulate him. We often think we can. You know, well, okay, God, I'll do this, and then you do that. God doesn't work that way. That's not how it works. Or we, we think that, you know, we can say, well, okay, but if I pray this prayer this way this many times, then you're going to do this for me, right? No, God doesn't work that way. God is not manipulated or manipulatable in any way, shape, or form, but idols are, and that's the appeal of idols. We can make them do what we want them to do by going through certain rituals and things. And he defines them here as they have mouths that cannot speak, eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, noses that cannot smell, hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, they cannot make a sound with their throats. So the word I keep hearing is cannot, they cannot do anything. Ultimately, they are powerless. And you, and you see all these things, the mouths, the eyes, the ears, etc., they're all fake. So you're going back to the statue imagery here. They have a face, they have the eyes, they have all these things, but they're, they're not real. They're, they're imitations, counterfeits. And that's really anything that is, we put in the place of God is a fake thing. It is counterfeit. It is not real. And that's what Satan aims to do with all sorts of things. He tries to get something as close to the original as possible, but with a few tweaks, and that's, that's what he does. And that's what idols are. They're, they're counterfeit. They're fake. They're things that we set up that we think we can put all of our trust and our hope in, but they will fail us. They will fail us. <clears throat> he says, last part of verse 7, they cannot make a sound with their throats. You know, this, this reminds me of, of the story of Elijah, the prophets of Baal. Remember that story from some Sunday school? And they're going to decide, okay, wh wh who's the true God? 
He's the one that sends fire down on the sacrifice. So you prophets of Baal, all 400 of you, you do your thing, and then it's Elijah over there by himself, and they dance around all day, and they're trying to get their God to do something, and it's a false God. He does nothing. Elijah mocks them. Oh, maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's in the bathroom. I don't know. But he's not coming, is he? And then as soon as Elijah prays, what happens? God sends the fire down from heaven and shows the people that he is the only true God. But idols have no power. Whatever that idol is, it has no power. It has the illusion of power. It has the idea of power, but there is no power there. What's the end result? Verse 8, those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. So the creators of idols and the followers of idols are also fake and powerless. Everything that's been built up, everything that's been set, everything that's been put together, it means nothing. It's fake. If we put our hope in anything other than the one true God, it is fake. It is powerless. It will lead to our ruin. It will lead to our destruction. We see that theme time and time and time again in Scripture. But what do we do, even as Christians, time and time and time again? We go to the idols. So yes, I believe in God, I believe you are sovereign, I believe you're in control, but oh my goodness, Trump had better win. Or oh my, you know, we put all of our hope in that one basket, that one thing. We've got to get this done. We've got to pass this law. We've got to do this. If that doesn't happen, all is lost. We think like that, though. Most of us do. It, it's a very normal way to think. But what is that? That is, that is idolatry. You know, as Christians, we've, we've got to have some understanding of this, that especially in politics and things, conservative often goes with Christian. You look at the conservative side, and this is not a shock to anybody. I know it's political speak, but conservative often goes with Christian, and most Christians would tend to be conservative, but conservative does not always mean Christian. There's a lot of people out there that are conservative politically, but are not Christian. And so as Christians, we fall into the trap where we think, well, this guy, he's a good conservative guy, and I'm going to follow him, I'm going to listen to him, but that's not, that does not equal Christianity. So our hope is not in, in a political party, our hope is not in a conservative movement, our hope is in God alone. He's the only one that will not fail us. So the psalmist switches gears here a little, it says in verse 9, Israel, trust in the Lord, he is their help and shield. So this is speaking specifically to the Jews, because obviously this was written in the Old Testament times, so he's speaking to them. But this would be kind of an overarching statement for the people of God. Verse 10, he says, House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Now, who's he talking to here? He's talking to the spiritual leaders of Israel. To be a priest, you had to be a direct male descendant of Aaron. So not just of the tribe of Levi, but of the, the line of Aaron directly. So he's saying, you leaders as well, trust in the Lord. This isn't just for the normal people and the leaders. Ah, yeah, we're good. We got it all figured out. No, he says, you too, trust in the Lord. And then the last one here, verse 11, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. That would be all believers. This would encompass all of us. Because as believers, we should be fearing the Lord. All believers should fear the Lord. Now, that's, that's a weird thing to think about, but it's a very important concept in Scripture to understand. That is the fear of the Lord. And really, when you think about fear, fearing anything other than God is a lack of trust in God. Now, I'm not saying someone comes up and startles you and you're surprised. That's totally different. But I'm talking a deep fear, more of like a worry and anxiety about something. 
And, and this, this goes with the pandemic. This goes with the election. This goes with the state of America right now. A lot of us live in a state of fear. We are afraid. We're afraid of this. We're afraid of that. We're afraid of what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this doesn't happen? What if, and, and our whole life is, is in, revolved around fear of something. It can also be other things too, but this seems to be at the forefront of most of our minds. But fear is ultimately a trust in God. Who are we supposed to fear? Or a lack of trust in God. Who are we supposed to fear? God alone. Only God. Because God is the only one that's in total control of all things. Is anything else? No. Because anything else, you can go up the rung and you, you eventually you get to God, right? He's the one that's in total sovereignty of everything. So if we fear anyone or anything other than the one true God, we're saying, I, I, I think that has a little more power than you do, God. I don't think you have total control in this area, God. And most of the time, we're not actually consciously thinking that, but by our actions and our attitudes, that's, that's really what we're doing, is we're not believing in that. So as, as believers, we need to fear the Lord and Him alone. And there's a promise here, verse 12, the Lord remembers us and will bless us. Sometimes does it feel like God has forgotten us? We've all been there sometimes. And maybe it's you right now with all this crazy stuff going on nationally and really internationally. And we think, well, has God forgotten us? Is he, did he look away? Is he doing something else? No, not at all. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. But is that for our purpose? So oh, you guys, you're doing good. I'm going to rain down blessings. No, it's for ultimately, it's for his glory. Remember where the psalm started. It's not for us. It's not so we can get healthy and wealthy and have all of our problems vanish. That's what a lot of Christians think nowadays. That's unbiblical nonsense. It is for his glory alone. He blesses us to show his glory, not to give us good things. And so we have an easier ride down here on earth, but so that his name is praised all the more. It says, he will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. So that's that same group we just looked at there. The house of Israel, the house of Aaron, and those who fear the Lord. That, that's pretty much all believers, right? All believers here, small and great alike. So rather you, nobody knows who you are, but you are faithfully following God and you're praying to him and you're reading the Bible, or you're some Billy Graham, John MacArthur, big name out there somewhere that everybody knows who you are, Christian and non-Christian. He says, it, it, it doesn't matter, small and great alike, everybody who fears the Lord. Verse 14, may the Lord add to your numbers, both yours and your children's. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's a subtle reminder there. God is the maker of heaven and earth. He, he made all this. He made everything. He, he made all the people. He made the earth. He made time itself. He made everything. And everything was made by him. So this keeps pointing back to God being in control. So it's almost as if the psalmist says, oh yeah, I need to remind you, he made everything too. Remember that? He's in control. He's the one that put it all together in the first place. It says, the heavens are the Lord's. That goes back to what he said in verse 3, but the earth he has given to the human race. So is the earth like heaven? Not so much, no. You, you go back to the beginning parts of Genesis, the Garden of Eden, God would come down and he would be with them in the garden in the cool of the night. And then you go to the last part of scripture then, kind of those, those two bookends of perfection where the new heavens and the new earth and, and God actually comes and he lives with us here on earth, 
But in between those things, this is not such a great place, right? God comes to earth in the form of Jesus, and what did they do? They ridiculed, they mocked him, they killed him. And so earth now was given to the human, the human race, the heavens of the Lord's. God's still in control. He gave us earth, and then look what we did with it. We pretty well wrecked it pretty fast. All right, guys, you can do anything you want. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Five seconds later, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then within a few generations, it got so bad, God wiped out the entire earth. And then a few generations after that, they wouldn't obey, and he had to scatter them all over the earth. And then all throughout the Old Testament, you see judgment after judgment after judgment, and ultimately even on Israel, judgment after judgment after judgment, because we continually just go away from God. We stray away so easily. Verse 17, it says, It is not the dead who praise the Lord, nor any of those descending into the silence of death, but we will praise the Lord, both now and forever. That is, that is our job as believers, is to praise the Lord, is to give honor and glory to Him. It is our duty, and it should be our delight as believers to do that. It should not be a chore to worship God. If it is a chore for you to worship God, something is very, very wrong in your spiritual life. Or maybe there is really no spiritual life there to begin with. Maybe you're not even saved if it is a chore to worship God. Now, a lot of times we think of worship, we think of singing songs only. Is that a part of worship? Absolutely, it's a part of worship. But that's not all worship is. Worship is, is, is everything, everything within us giving glory and honor to God. Now, corporately, when we meet as we are today, we worship through singing praises to Him. That is a form of worship. We worship by giving to Him and trusting Him that as I give my finances back to you, that you will still take care of me. We worship by listening to His Word as we are right now. And, and there, we worship in many, many different ways. But as Christians, we should want to do that. We should want to worship the Lord. We should want to praise the Lord. And what does it say? Both now and forever. You know, and, and by the way, what do you think we're going to do when we get to heaven? We're not just going to hang out and sit on clouds playing harps or something. We're, we're going to be worshiping God. If you don't want to worship God now, why do you think you're going to want to worship God when you're in heaven? It's, it doesn't work that way. And so as Christians, we should have a deep desire to worship God, to know Him, to spend time with Him. Who else is going to do it? That's what the psalmist is saying here. The dead going to do it? No, they're dead. They're not going to do anything. We are going to do that. We believers now, we are here to worship God it is our, our duty, our delight to worship Him now and forevermore. And he ends the psalm with that word of worship, hallelujah, praise the Lord, worshiping Him. And we've got to remember, too, these were, these were psalms. They were meant to be sung. Probably all of them were sung at one point. There are still some Christian traditions that still sing this through the psalms. Uh, and we have a lot of songs that we sing you know, through that are actually just psalms. And so this, this continual reminder to worship the Lord to praise the Lord continually. And why? Why do we do these things? Because we have to, because we're supposed to. A lot of us get stuck into almost a, a works-based religion, and we think we have to go through these different steps and jump through these different hoops so we'll somehow make it to heaven one day. We'll, we'll get where we're supposed to be, but that's not why we do these things. We do these things because of what God has already done for us. We do these things not because we have to, but because we want to as Christians. We, we should want to love God and serve Him because of all He did for us. 
on the cross and all he does for us in our lives. We should want to serve God and worship him and praise him because he is sovereign over all. If God was not sovereign over all, I'd be insane, as most of us probably would be. All the craziness in the world, everything that's happening, I'm a news junkie and I'd have to cut way back recently because you look at all these things and you're following all these things and you're worried. It's so easy to do, right? But God is sovereign. And we need to be continually reminded that God is sovereign. So as we wrap up this message here today, I want to go back to verses 2 and 3. Now it says, why should the nation say, where is their God? But I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Where is your God? Is it an idol? Is it something that you worship and God is just one among the pantheon of idols in your life? Or can you answer the affirmative of verse 3, my God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases concerning the pandemic concerning the election, concerning my family, concerning my job, concerning my life. He can do whatever he pleases. Is God going to do things that we might not necessarily think are the best thing? Sure, because we are foolish humans. We don't have the whole picture of what's going on. But we need to go and ask ourselves, where is my God? And again, there's only two options. Is it a God of silver and gold, a fake God that cannot really do anything for you? Or is it the one true God in heaven who does whatever he pleases? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you do for us and all the ways you bless us. And Lord, as we think about these issues today, it is a crazy time to be alive here in America. And for most of us, we've just never seen anything this bizarre. But Lord, may we cling more tightly to you. May we not give in to despair, and most definitely, may we not turn to idols. May we understand and embrace your sovereignty, the, the great power that you have shown. And may we be content, truly content, with the fact that you are in heaven and you do whatever you please. Lord, we are grateful for that fact today. In your name we pray. Amen.